Welcome to the Lady Landlords Podcast, where we empower women to gain financial independence through real estate investing. I'm your host, Becky Nova, founder of Lady Landlords. If you're ready to buy, manage, and grow your real estate portfolio, then let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the Lady Landlords Podcast. We are going to be bringing you a member spotlight today. Member spotlights, if you've not heard them before, these are actually living women in our Facebook community, Lady Landlords, that are out there making moves, doing all the real estate investing things. And I want to be able to share their stories because they're so inspirational. So today I have Tiffany joining me. Tiffany, how are you? I'm excellent. Thanks. How are you doing today? Good. It is Friday when we're recording this. I am looking forward to a weekend. I'm going to go flip an apartment. So clearly so excited for that. But, <laughs> but today is about you. So what I would always like to start with is just having our members get to know a little bit about who you are behind real estate investing. So could you just share a little bit about your life and, and where you kind of came from? Sure. Um, I'm a divorced mom. I have a boy who's about to be 18. Oh my gosh. In about a month or two. Um, he's a wonderful son. I live in Franklin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I've mostly spent most of my life here. I was actually born in Michigan, but it's just across the pond. Um, I've been in sales and sales leadership for 20 some years and I've always been a top producer. And uh, let's see, for fun, I really like cars and fast cars. I'm always taking pictures of people's ridiculously expensive and fast cars to share with my son or just because I think they're cool. Um, I'm very much into art. I like painting murals. Um, I like painting or trying to like recreate pretty things that are memes. Um, and I'm a dog freak too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have a rescue pit bull and uh, she's awesome. I take her to some rougher properties I might go to in my day job as a realtor. Yeah. Um, but I'm really passionate about saving dogs. I think people sometimes throw away their animals and uh, I'm committed to my dog probably sometimes to a, a crazy extent, but we have a really great bond and it makes me very happy. I actually, I think there's a lot of other pet owners out there that can absolutely identify with you on that. I will say my parents are probably those people. I think they treat their dogs better than their kids <laughs> sometimes. But um, the other thing I want to point out is for any of our listeners that are watching us on YouTube, you can see that amazing mural that Tiffany has behind her, that ocean that every time Tiffany and I talk that I absolutely love. And you painted that yourself, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's an Ikea picture. And then I wanted to make it kind of overflow into the wall. So if I take off the picture, the whole wall is still painted as a wave. I was wondering, I was going to say, was it that or did you just leave it like blank? (laughs) (laughs) And if somebody takes the picture down, you just got a hole in your hole in your ocean. No, no, but I have a story about that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually a smarter way to go. So good for you. What's the story though? Now I got to hear it. Um, So when, when my tenant moved out of the first property, I, I purchased as a rental and I, I bought it with tenants in place. That was my initial kind of idea. And it was good for a few reasons and for where I was at the time. Um, and she did a very good job of keeping the house super tidy and was very particular about how she painted. So I gave her a rent credit that we agreed upon for painting all of the interior walls of the home. And she did a great job, except when she did exit the property in May, uh, we found that we took a mirror. There was a mirror and a painting in the living room that she painted around. So I had two rectangles on the wall. <laughs> and then in a, a side bedroom, there was a, an old fashioned type of vanity that kind of had like the, the circle mirror that kind of came down real ornate. Yeah. And we had had that in the corner of the room. So that silhouette, 
<laughs> the silhouette exactly. was remaining, which was great content on Facebook. I think I got the most shares over that. And I just thought it was just so funny that someone would think to do this. But yeah, it's people do interesting things. <laughs> As I was saying, paint, painters do do interesting things. Actually, now I, I feel like I have to admit to something. Years ago, when I first moved in with my now husband, we painted his apartment. And I did these gorgeous turquoise blue, kind of like the ocean, like turquoise blue, like accent molds. But where we had his big screen flat TV, he didn't want to take off like the bracket. Mm -hmm. So we just painted around the bracket. Now we moved out. We actually had one of his brothers living there. And he didn't put up a TV. So he just uses the brackets as like shelves, but okay. there's in between the two brackets where the TV was is just beige in the middle of this gorgeous blue wall. And he has probably had it that way for four or five years now. Oh my God. I would have to fix that immediately. I couldn't look at it, no. but I, so I, like I said, I guess I, <laughs> I'm actually that painter that I'm going to, that I always kind of make fun of being like, really, you couldn't, you couldn't tape around, you couldn't take off the light switches and outlet covers. I guess <laughs> I was one of them, but that was before I was a lady landlord, but let's take us back though. So, because you've done, I know within sales, but you've been in real estate in multiple capacities for a long time, which is crazy because you're 21, but you've been in real estate <laughs> You've done so much. So can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up in this industry even before then actually investing? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I worked at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which in its heyday was actually one of the best papers in the nation for reaching the marketplace. So I really see it as a privilege. Um, my degree was in journalism, so I thought I was going to write really great ad copy and win awards. And then I was like, you're going to pay me what? to sell ads and then I can make commission and I can win trips and other things too. So I was like, I'm going to do this kind of stuff. Uh, and I wrote advertorials for the journal, just kind of like do that creative thing I have to like do. Um, and I found I was pretty good at sales, but when I left the paper, which was after 12 years, you know, the, the internet was kind of starting to come around and it wrote away different categories of business. And I was the real estate category sales manager. So I was negotiating the huge contracts for Coldwell Banker and Shore West and, Shore West actually had a, a lawsuit against the, new, the newspaper at the time. Um, it was pretty, there were a, a number of newspaper lawsuits going on throughout the industry. And it's one of the things that kind of started also crashing them all. Um, but I've been familiar with <laughs> marketing properties <laughs> and seeing what's on the marketplace for quite a while because my team was directly responsible for getting all of those line ads and display ads into the paper every single week. So we would be there until, you know, Thursday night at eight o'clock, trying to get everything in for a Sunday real estate deadline. Um, like when people actually looked at newspapers for like listings of like homes you're talking about? Yeah, way back in the day. <laughs> that's how we used to have to find houses, right? Before, Once again, before you had the MLS or Zillow or Realtor.com, yeah. that's what you had to do. And that's really kind of the crux of what collapsed the category and uh, one of the biggest biggest categories for newspapers and newsprint was that Shore West wanted to advertise, go to see all of our open houses and all of our listings at shorewest.com on the back page. And the conversation I had to have, although I didn't agree with it, was <laughs> you have, you know, your contract says you have to do six pages of color, price and item advertising, literally a picture of a house and then, you know, like five lines of copy to go with it, because that's what our readers wanted at the time. It was the best tool for getting the information to the public. And mm -hmm. The internet was just starting to evolve 
And I was like, hey, have you guys heard of this thing called Yahoo? And they're like, oh yeah, that's cool, Tiff. And I was like, I think we should kind of pay attention to this. <laughs> Before I was a leader and then I was a leader and I watched all these categories like go away to different types of internet opportunities. Yeah. Way before we even got to the point we are now with as, as amazing as technology is. So it was challenging because people, or sure, Wes wanted to say, you know, we have a four bedroom house with a three car attached garage with a pool and a fenced in yard in Brookfield. And that's not how the paper worked. We forced people to advertise the properties in a certain number, the <laughs> certain advertisement, and it didn't stand out the way they wanted it to. And there was a new tool which allowed them to do that. So I kind of, of, because of that experience in my career where I worked for like the best thing possible for getting the word out. And I saw this massive evolution of that's not going to work anymore. So yeah. throughout my career, I've always identified, oh, shoot, we're at that point where that's just not going to work anymore. And the creative side of me is always like, okay, what other options do we have? And that kind of is where I got into real estate. I've wanted to get into real estate investing for a long time. Um, I was married for 19 years and my ex-husband flipped cars, so many cars, and <laughs> specifically Volkswagen Beetles. We had like 30 of what them. Is, what a random kind of niche to fall into. Our first two, we each had, we we're high school sweethearts and our first cars were each Volkswagen Beetles. So yeah. we'd fix them up and we would literally be sanding on them and uh, trying to get the rust off and painting them and rehabbing them. And we did a few of them full out to show cars. So it was a passion and our whole house was decorated with car memorabilia, especially Volkswagens. And so that was, it took all things over, but we were digging them out of barns and out of really mud. And we did find one that had mice in the engine and we had to drag it down the road. But, you know, we trade that in for work to be done on the ones we were making into show cars. Mm -hmm. So what I was able to see at a very early age, I don't think I brought this up with you. No. Like, why aren't we doing this with houses? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, it's a great concept. Let's just now do it with something a little bigger, a little more expensive. What else can we kind of shine up and beautify? Exactly. But... Um, I wanted to do like rental property because flipping terrified both of us. And he was afraid because he had a sister who owned a rental property and it was not a great experience because she was very uh, particular about the property. And she was, she's just, it was too anxious to have someone in her house that wouldn't take care of it so well. Yeah. And my parents also had had a rental and that wasn't a great experience, but it's my perception that they didn't really educate themselves at all. And they bought the cheapest thing they could find and they kind of winged it and it wasn't a great experience. Gotcha. My mom brought it up to me this week. Oh, Tiffy, don't forget Barnard. I'm like, mom, that was like 40 years ago. Don't you like, I'm, I'm actually seen as an expert in this field. <laughs> I know you don't so get fun. that, but people are coming <laughs> to me for this stuff now. It's crazy. Um, so I was a sales manager in corporate America when the pandemic hit, and I had been studying real estate investing, uh, mostly through Bigger Pockets, their webinars, their uh, podcasts, and just devouring any information I could read about the subject matter. And I started the process of setting goals around it. And it mm -hmm. was setting a big, hairy, audacious goal, which got me into it. And I started walking properties with an agent out here in Milwaukee. And I identified, I just couldn't figure out what was going to make me pull the trigger. I was yeah. like, duplexes and single families and a couple different areas. And I was just like, I just didn't know what was going to do There's it. There's so many like options, right? You were just yeah. like, I could go this way, I could go that way. Right. I'm sure other people are out there. I was in that same boat too, after about the first property of like, what do I do now? Just kind of more overwhelming options. Exactly. 
And I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, there's just, once you start okay. to like peel back the onion, there's so many different layers of cool stuff. Like I'm a realtor, so I'm always educating people about, there's not one mortgage that everybody qualifies for. There's this whole mm -hmm. huge list of different products that, you know, you need someone who's going to help you find the right fit for that. So that was the same thing with investing. It's like, where do I start? I know I want to do this, but do I buy an apartment building, a single family home? And it was really through, uh, my relationship at the time that we're like, we got to figure out what's going to build the criteria or what I now call the buy box. Mm -hmm. And uh, he and I decided that I didn't have enough money set aside to get into this, like with what you should. <laughs> but I'm looking at any of us really do any of us really no, have no, <laughs> no. Uh, I set goals and I hit them because I set the goal and then I'm like, oh shit, now I got to do that. <laughs> Yeah. go. It's crazy. The power of setting goals has had in my life, but it really is impactful for me. So I was like, mm -hmm. oh shit, now I got to buy, a, a, I got to buy a house. But what we identified was if I focused on a small house, like under a thousand square feet, mm -hmm. I knew I wanted three bedroom for resale. So I didn't want a two bedroom or a one bedroom. Um, I knew I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I was like, maybe I can find something for 50 or 60 grand. And the concept was if two major things went wrong at the same mm -hmm. time, would I have to lose my personal residence? And there's no way I want to risk my personal residence. I have a beautiful condo. Uh, it's all restored just because I had a water damage a couple of years ago, which was awful mm -hmm. to live through, but it's beautiful now. Now it's nice. You also you have your son, <laughs> right? You, you have some things that you need to make sure that you have a stable home base. Yeah, exactly. I, I do feel like I still need to sell the condo now because it's so nice. I'm like, I got to go find something kind of, I got to make beautiful again. <laughs> um, but it was, it was the square footage size. That really mm -hmm. helped me pull the trigger. I decided I like near South Side of Milwaukee um, because of the price point. I'm okay with the level of crime that's there. There's crime all over the place, even in the place where my primary residence is in. Um, so I'm just okay with that. And yeah. I found, gosh, I remember it came up. It was right around the week of Christmas. And it was a $47,000 single family house. And it was 900 square feet. And Perfect. one and a half bath. And I'm like, what? $47,000? Checking all those boxes, yeah. Well, we went and go we checked it out, and ironically, this was a wholesale. I don't even know how it hit Zillow. So okay. it was an off-market property, and I walked the house, so and you came across it on Zillow. Yeah, but it was an off-market property, and you said it was also being it was through a wholesaler. Yes. All right. First, let's identify some terms here. Mm -hmm. You said wholesaler. Can you tell our audience what a wholesaler is? Someone who gets a property under contract to purchase, and then instead of completing the transaction for whatever reason, they sell their opportunity to assign the contract. So you're not technically selling the home, you're selling the agreement that you have made with the seller to make the purchase. You're assigning the contract. Right. So now we assign that. Right. So now we have that wholesaler that we're talking to. And then in Wisconsin, do, because I know some states are different with this, do wholesalers have to have a real estate license? No. In fact, once I got my license, I, uh, you're held to different standards and ethics and wholesaling is considered illegal, or I think there's one or two that you're allowed to do. Yeah. But as a realtor, the ethics around it are helping people get the most for their property in general but also solving right. the problems. Right. With being a realtor and being licensed, there are a lot of ethics around it and what your due diligence is and who really your, your responsibility is for and who you're supposed to protect. Right. Wholesalers are a little bit more rogue here. 
um, they can kind of do different things, which is why in different states, they don't really allow wholesaling as they do in other states. Um, and illegal, frowned upon, different terms for it, but really then a wholesaler is kind of that middleman, right? Between two different parties. Yes. Um, so that's why, once again, some people find that predatory in certain states, which is why there's legislation against it. Other states, that's not necessarily the case. So, because that's why when you had mentioned that it was on Zillow, that's why I was curious if that was a state that they needed a real estate license to get it on there. No, I still don't know how it, it popped up on, on the website because it's literally how we found it. It may have been realtor.com. I don't recall exactly gotcha. what website. Um, and you're right. It's uh, what, after I had, after I had, uh, we did move ahead with the purchase of this property. Um, yeah. Went over to my parents' house and said, hey, I got the down payment. I'm going to pull it from my HELOC. And can you give me the other like 38,000? And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you do? <laughs> and they're like, and the things they told you not to do, right? Buying real estate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, where'd this come from? I'm like, I've been studying it for actually a long time. Let me tell you about it. I think I know a lot more than you guys did when you got into this. And here's why I want to do it. Um, so we proceeded with the deal. And after a period of time, uh, I chose to get the house inspected afterwards. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was brand new in my career because, uh, let's see, that was December. No, I closed January, January 19, I believe. So and your parents then, chose to give, gave you that money for, for that yeah, to help yeah. with the first. So you said, so two things within that. One, you said that the money came from a HELOC, right? So you took a home equity line of credit on your primary residence, pulled out that cash to then be able to leverage that into the down payment for the next property. But yeah. you didn't take a mortgage on it since it's sometimes it's harder to get mortgages that are less than $100,000 on certain properties. Mm -hmm. So are your parents, did they gift you that money? Were they, are they your business partners? Were they just your private lenders? What was that partnership like when you said to your parents, like, hey, we, we're going, we're buying this property. You guys are doing this too. Um, it was completely casual. We didn't have anything on paper. And um, I spoke with a tax consultant or someone later on when I was making additional property purchases. Mm -hmm. And he's like, um, well, the, what, what you've just told me is your dad basically owns this property because he owns yeah. 50%. And if you want to refinance it, you better do that pretty fast before he decides to pull it out from underneath you. And I'm like, well, we don't have that type of relationship, but that's yeah. eye opening. So um, I would definitely get documentation on what the agreement is. Um, mm -hmm. We're all fine with how it, it ended up. I refinanced the property and it had enough equity gain and the way I purchased it, the the, the level at it was uh, that I I didn't take the full amount either. I just, okay. I think I put a $40,000 mortgage on it. Yeah, yeah. I basically paid us both back and just let it sit there and have the tenant paid off. Gotcha, so once it appreciated, you mm -hmm. then did a, you did a cash out refinance. Yes. Right, you then took out that's a great amount of money that you were able to take out. And then that is what you then, so then you put it back in your name only, right? Actually, I put, put a mortgage into my on LLC. It. Put into your LLC, even better, mm -hmm. put into the LLC. And then you paid your parents back from the money that you pulled out. Yep. Right. So then now it's a hundred percent yours. Yep. And then once again, you kind of, that's a great way to get an interest-free loan. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, good for you. Most people don't pay their parents back. <laughs> right how many times has anybody ever said like mom but come on can i buy this i'll give you the, i'll totally pay you back we never do so you're the one person in history that paid their parents back so there you i'm go. gonna remind them <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> that was really smart because then that way you were able, you didn't have to worry about saving money, scrimping money, um, eating ramen for you know a year to be able to save money to pay pay mom and dad back here. It was something that you just were able to wait for the billing to appreciate. Now, did you do forced appreciation where you did upgrades and rehabs on this? Or what kind of took place that now had this property gain so much equity so quick? Well, um, I bought with tenants in place, so I could not do the forced uh, appreciation. Um, it was very hard to even handle repairs because she had three large German shepherds. But that's what was yeah. more impressive about why I bought the house because she had three German shepherds and four cats. And when I walked it, the place was so clean. There were no tumbleweeds of fur. Uh, you didn't smell animal when you walked Aww. in the house. And I was like, how do you do that? Wow, I want to keep her. And she paid on time um, and she was on disability. So I knew that she would pay on time or she would not have her income impacted. So there was- It goes back to that dog lover in you, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, and yeah. German shepherds aren't always the easiest to find a rental property with. You know, a lot of us don't allow pets in general, but a German shepherd is also going to be a little more difficult compared to them three. Oh, yeah. And then you're throwing in four cats. That's crazy you say that. I actually, I bought a duplex last week and the first floor tenant, they've been there for 30 years and they have like four or five cats. I happen to be highly allergic to cats. And when I went and when I was even looking at the property, I actually walked through half of her apartment, half of her unit before I even saw a cat. Normally, like I would have been outside the door mm -hmm. and my eyes would have been starting to like water and tear. And what I thought was crazy was I was like, this woman is such a responsible pet owner, responsible pet owner, and really just took such good property, yeah. clean of the property. I actually, when I, we closed last week, I was over there signing leases with her, sat on the couch in black pants, got up, not one, not one cat hair did I take That's home. Impressive. Isn't that impressive? And um, same thing, yeah. can't smell a thing. I so, so impressed by that. But it sounds like that's, it just reminded me of the woman that you're kind of talking about. Um, so that's, that's great that you were able to make sure then that she was able to have a home and a place to stay. Yeah. And I liked how she had the house set up too. She had it decorated nicely. I could tell she took a lot of pride in it. And with the cleanliness, like it smelled clean more than anything else. Right. So she had kind of her living space set up in the basement and she stayed down there with the dogs and then her boyfriend and kids stayed in the upper level. It's a ranch, but it has a full basement. Um, and I, I liked how she had it set up. I liked it even better once she was out. I was like, wow, this is really a huge space. Yeah. So um, I, I carved a bed, an extra bedroom in there recently. But um, hey. so anyway, I bought the house and refinanced it, and it worked out really well. And I had the home equity line of credit already established for my primary residence. Mm -hmm. um, because I had water damage here, and I always just, I like that. I, I, buy, I always bought my properties under market value. Yeah. I to get my, my condo was in a... It was in an estate when I was divorcing and it's okay. a quarter mile from my ex's husband. And I knew I wanted to live here. My son was only 11 and this allowed us to have him take the same bus route to either house. Oh, nice. And even walk to either house. Uh, but I got it well under market value because it was in a trust and they weren't in a hurry to sell the property. And I kept writing him love letters. I'm like, oh, I had this other horrible thing happen with this other house I was selling. <laughs> Because uh, it took seven times to close on it. So I'm very, very grateful. But buying well is absolutely key. And it doesn't mean right. paying ask is wrong. You have to know what the market is. 
And sometimes ask is fair. And if you want the property, and I wanted the stupid $47,000 property, I still own this one oh. because it's solid. And every right. time I'm there, I'm like, yep, yep. I was still like this house, the, the floor oh. is squeaky, you know, it's not, I'd like to make it even nicer than it is. I don't know that it's worth putting the money into it for that, but I'm still refreshed every time. This is a good investment. I right. have the feels about it, you know, but it's, if you buy well, that's the way to do it. So back to the question, I'm rambling. Um, the market's been excessively good. And I bought that yeah. property in that, what, three, three years ago now. And mm -hmm. I think it appraised when I did the mortgage at about 63. And then wow. I just keep an eye on it. Uh, that turned the tenant this past May. I'm getting great rent on it. Added a bedroom into the basement. And all right. I had to some drywall and carpet and I had it painted real nice. So it's comfortable. And um, now it's sitting at probably like 78 or even 80 grand. I mean, I could wow. sell it on the market for over a hundred thousand dollars, but it's a little cash registered me. Right. Well, that's it. Do you, you if you sell the cash register, <laughs> right? You it know, you're not having the, yeah, it's not going to keep kind of print out money here. So, so for you, then really the strategy with that property is buy and hold long-term, right? Mm -hmm. And then once again, now you have a property, especially now that it's over the hundred thousand, what can possibly be leveraged with that now that it's almost doubled in price in really the three or so years that you've owned it, which is fantastic. It's crazy. So then how did you find, just out of curiosity, you mentioned about buying properties um, under, under value. How did you find your condo? Um... It was listed just on MLS. It was out there, um, but it was someone uh, was the executor were the sellers. And mm -hmm. I, I think there was like their great aunt or someone. It, they just weren't in any huge rush. So yeah. it did take seven attempts. There were some goofy things here with the condo that um, the mortgage companies that the person I was working with, the loan officer, um, they wanted the, the condo people to move money around in a different accounts. Mm -hmm. And the kind of people don't do that. They <laughs> they run their books the way they do it. They get together maybe once right. a month and, you know, you're lucky if you get your information in front of them. So we had to go through a lot of that. I So it took seven times. And most of that was the hassles of leaving my former home. Mm -hmm. um, divorce was simple. It was the real estate snafus that happened and really why I went into real estate. Right. Okay. Um, so now you had first rental property, right? Now, then you have your condo. And at this point, what are, what are you doing for work at this point in time? So I was a sales manager at uh, a company in Milwaukee, uh, downtown, okay. and I hated it. Uh, <laughs> it was just a product I really didn't, it, it was a, a compliance product for government contractors. Okay. They need to report on their hires and their outreach for hires if you do certain amount of business with the federal government. So I really love the people I worked with. Um, the business had a fun. <laughs> that's I love when people say that. I really like the people that I worked with. That's like oh. very telling. <laughs> I had a senior sales team, and as a result, uh, most of them earned the privilege of working from home. So I still had right. to go to the office, and I was really more of a cultural representative and kind of do fun things with the company. So uh, I was kind of a figurehead in that regard. I mean, I loved mm -hmm. doing that type of stuff. I had to go by, you know. <laughs> 70 Nerf guns for a sales kickoff. I'm fun. Oh. I'm happy to do it. I love it. But it wasn't a product that I get super excited about. 
And so gotcha. I struggled with that. And there were some things that uh, we were charged to change as leaders that uh, the company wasn't ready for. So okay. that was that was challenging too. I really I couldn't I couldn't go after those goals. So that's gotcha. easy. Um, and then the whole world shut down. Was it March 18th? And yep. I was downsized. I think uh, the 15th, the Ides of March, right around there. Yeah. And I was a leading sales manager at the time. So I was given a very nice package, severance package, because I, I didn't do anything in error. Mm-hmm. And my people were top of <laughs> each of the categories for my people. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I got all the top people. Great. Like, we're going <laughs> to give you a little month here to kind of do your thing and find something new. And yeah. then the severance package after that. And they even assigned my sales team to another leader so that I could gracefully come and go and look for something okay. without just kind of throwing me out into the street. That was nice. So it was awesome. And I was like, I'm going to jump into this real estate thing because right. I need to. So I literally started, I searched for like real estate in Indeed. And I found this disposition manager job for a real estate flipping company. Okay. And I started before I really even, I started training the new company before I was even done with the severance package on the previous, which was okay. awesome because we were shut down and there was nowhere to go anyway. <laughs> exactly. It was a great time to learn new things or figure out what's next. Now, what does a disposition manager do at a flipping company? So this was a company that did a lot, a lot, a lot of marketing about, can we buy your stinky house? Uh, they would send <laughs> communications to people who had who are out of state owners of properties, um, people who might be going through divorce, you know, there's public record of that. So you can get mm-hmm. that mailing list. People who may have a property in probate. Um, there's even drive-bys, uh, people that, you know, have bird dogs who are like, hey, that property's got long grass and the shutters are falling off of it. It's kind of in disrepair. Right. And you might give that information to one of these investing companies. Yeah. And they then, we had a sales team that went and spoke with the sellers to identify if this was a, an opportunity for us to help them. And mm-hmm. really that is the true mindset we went about the business, which I had a lot of integrity with. Um, and often it was someone who didn't know how to care for a house and it was mom and dad's house and they'd lived there 30 years and mom and dad didn't fix the roof. And mm-hmm. now the roof was really a problem and it's got mold and it's like a big gaping hole. I mean, this is a real situation, but yeah. There's some times where family members might have some mental issues and other family members like, hey, just go stay in that house for a while and it gives yeah. them a place to live, but the home becomes really in disrepair because they, they don't have the sometimes physical capabilities nor mental to know yeah. how to care, care for a house. So we'd fix those situations with offers of buying the houses with cash. Mm-hmm. And my role was to evaluate the situation, uh, look at what the current value is of the property by going there, also reviewing pictures and doing comps, look at how much money we'd have to put into it to bring the most money if we were to flip it and make it mm-hmm. beautiful for someone new. Um, or there's some other strategies. Do we want to hold it as a rental in our portfolio for the company? Um, do we want to wholesale it? Wholesale is putting in about 10 grand, maybe doing some minor fix and flips is usually paint, fixtures, paint, um, flooring is often the thing. If there's mm-hmm. anything in kitchen or bathroom that would be like, a secondary level, and then decide what to do. And if we were going to flip it ourselves, I would move that to our project manager and mm-hmm. we would go through that process then. Mm-hmm. And then if we were going to, if we had too many jobs going on and our crews were full, we might need to move that contract to a different investor. Or if all our funds were tied up in the projects that we were working on, 
So I also had to kind of look at that and balance out what was the right for the current volume of business that we had. Um, gotcha. <clears throat> but in this place, so you're, you're now fully immersed in real estate, right? Now you have your own rental properties, you're on your own primary, but now you're doing all this great evaluation, but for somebody else's business, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you were very successful there. But what then happened when you were kind of sitting there, like looking at this being like, well, I'm in this day to day. Was that the place you wanted to be? Or did that just kind of maybe give you some ideas of what you should be? Well, both. Um, there were some really excellent things I loved about the team and the role. Um, mm-hmm. We had excellent systems in place and I was truly a cog in a wheel of a really, really cool performing machine. And yeah. it allowed me to do what I'm really good at, which is negotiate and evaluate and, and sell and build relationships. Um, I didn't have to go get the properties under contract and deal with the sellers. I have a more direct personality. I'm not the best at that. Uh, some people think I'm too direct and it comes off as brusque. Our salespeople were much more soft-spoken, actually the gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wheeling and dealing with the sharks. So I like that I also didn't have to take it to close. Um, gotcha. We had a transaction team that worked through any issues with title and really... I was able to focus on going out to these properties and working with our investors when it was something we were going to wholesale. So right. I stepped into basically the role of the guy who was a one-person wholesaler that I bought my first rental property from, but right. we did it in a much higher volume. Exactly. And I'm like, that was a great place and a great role for you to learn and just kind of really continue to get that education and kind of like learn all those skills. So then you and I really kind of connected a couple months ago because you got a little stuck. Can you share a little bit about kind of what you were stuck in when we first started chatting together? Yeah, well, um, some pay changes happened at the investing company. And I also had a situation where an agent brought a buyer to a really beautiful duplex in a prime area in in Milwaukee. Um, And I hit my KPIs and what I needed to do for my company and my role in selling it for the number we needed and, and the timeline we needed. But the agent made... 10 times the amount that I did on it. And I had a really hard time with that because I saw a lot of my friends, realtors bringing other buyers and I'm like, they're driving a way nicer car than I am. Um, I asked this guy, I remember asking this guy, I'm like, how many rentals do you have? He's like, oh yeah, I got like 28 doors. I'm like, how old are you? He's like in his mid thirties. I'm like, I am on the wrong side of the fence here. So the pay changes at the investment company, I wasn't going to um, put up with. That's not how sales works when you're a performer. Pay goes mm-hmm. up. <laughs> and they they said uh, they didn't have that in the budget. And I said, well, I didn't make those decisions. So I got to go. I'm going to go sell houses with my friends. And I might be your best customer because I yeah. have investors and I know how to sell your properties. And I know the system you want to work within. So I yeah. can bring buyers and make that very easy for the buyers to you know work with their properties. So I went into real estate uh, last September as an agent and mm-hmm. have been kind of floating around for a while to find the right brokerage and the right structure. Um, kind of feel like Goldilocks a little bit. Yeah. Um, I reached out to you because I had acquired two more properties. So I was at three mm-hmm. and I was looking at what can I do to get more doors? And I ultimately decided to sell two of those single family rentals, did really, really great on them, also due to the marketplace. Um, I happen to have a transaction closing today with that same buyer, who's also a friend. So Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Solved another problem with her too. 
she's uh, separating in her marriage and uh, this particular property was very appealing to her based on location and what she likes for her rental portfolio but uh, the location of it is right by a cemetery and she finds them very peaceful to walk through and look at the monuments and oh. appreciate that so I'm happy that it fits her really well and it was what she needed at the right time she's going to rehab the whole thing so it oh wow really stinky um, but I, I love working with people who have the vision because right. houses are a bunch of sticks and I've seen some really, really bad, crazy things happen, but you can pull the sticks apart. And a contractor told me this like two summers ago and I was really in the, the heat of it. It was a hot day too. Yeah. And he's like, Tiffany, you know, this just sticks. I mean, you pull off the roof, it's just sticks. You just fix it. You just rebuild it. I'm like, I know it's so exciting. I, I don't know why people don't see that because once you cover it up with drywall and roofing, I think people forget it's just sticks. Exactly. It sticks or cement yeah. <laughs> in some places, right? Like it's a pretty simple structure when we really kind of take it down to, to the beams here. Mm -hmm. um, so it is interesting then to kind of think about that from the idea of really doing work to being able to do some of those rehabs or when we walk into places, everybody has a different experience, right? There's certain people that you kind of walk in and you could be like, oh, this will be great. We can blast out this wall. We can expand this. We can do this. And then there's other people that are just kind of like, oh, this place is a mess. And that's all they can see. And everybody kind of falls somewhere in between on that. So it sounds really like you're the person that is able to have a lot of that vision to it, which is incredibly helpful. That also, do you find that that helps open up more opportunities for you when looking at rental properties? Oh, absolutely. Um, I just, I, I guess too, it's kind of how my mind is wired. I'm a very strategic person. So I'm always looking at two to three options minimum of what the solution could be. And right. then, then, you know, I've got that kind of going on here. And then the other voice is like, oh, what else, what else could there be? Could this be an Airbnb? Yeah. <laughs> Airbnb, you know, what's going on? You know, what is, what's the best exit strategy in the property? But right. I find that being open-minded and creative and walking a lot of properties is huge you know just getting comfortable with what am i okay with everybody wants to get into investing and then i've been taking some folks around to five thousand dollar houses and i'm like this is not you don't get into investing buying a house for five thousand dollars like experienced investors don't want to deal with this one because it's only five that's that dude that's not even paying for the land right so no, and that's it's important to be able and that was something that during your during your roadmap workshop if i remember correctly we came up with really clear criteria. Once again, that buy box of what you would really be looking for so we can have some focus on it. But if I remember, we actually had like a kind of like, what happens if we go right? What happens if we go left, right? Almost like a choose your own adventure, mm -hmm. kind of like result of your roadmap saying, at least giving you those couple different options and directions that you can kind of go. Do you feel that that's helped you kind of move forward in your real estate journey? Yes, definitely. It brought a lot of clarity because uh, what I had found is after the three properties, uh, two of those tenants, I, I bought all three with tenants in place and mm -hmm. two of them were mostly good experiences. Crazy County was, I just call it an education. Yeah. Um, she did a lot of great things with the house. So I don't want to say that she didn't. Uh, I learned a lot of the tenant mentality that you might sometimes face. Not right. all everybody's like that, but sometimes when crazy things happen, um, I, so I got salty with some of those people and decided to sell off two of them. Mm -hmm. um, and now my buy box is very different because I can rehab and make the property nicer and get that forced appreciation because I don't need to do tenants in place right now. I want to get the forced appreciation sooner 
and have less likelihood of even small fixes being needs because it's not a great impression on the tenants either. Right. And also it does satisfy something that you talked about at the very beginning of this episode, which is that creative side of you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The painting, figuring out how you can kind of beautify something. So knowing that, I can definitely see why the appeal would be to have some of those properties. So what are you currently working on in real estate? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm looking at some properties, but I'm trying to get myself established now with my new broker. Um, I found a really great fit that has super strong rewards. And that is a huge thing for me that I enjoyed in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And that is with a certain amount of business achievements, I can get a Tesla for myself for the year without paying for it. And that's Ooh. super motivating. <laughs> very, very motivating. Um, so every day I'm looking at the hot sheet and MLS of different opportunities of properties for myself, but I don't want to take on more than I know I can because yeah. I don't have a management place, uh, a management company in place. So I'm being very selective. I'm super aware that there are tons of buyers in the market and there's tons of money. So I need to move quickly, which I can, but I also don't want to kind of cloud my focus in my day job right now, getting the good traction I want for this. Right. So I'm kind of looking softly. Um, gotcha. There was Window a shopping. Family, yeah. Right. There was a four family that came up really nice, but it went super fast. I was like, oh gosh, that's exactly the, like the area, <laughs> the condition. Uh, it still had an opportunity to upgrade the, the property a little bit and the rents, mm-hmm. but it went too fast. So okay. if the right thing comes along, yes, I'm still walking properties. If, if it comes up, my day is filled up with other people wants to buy and then stuff I might want to buy too. It fits into my mm-hmm. day just fine. Um, but it's gotta be the right opportunity. Right. I think that's one of the most important things, right? That we have to make sure it's the right fit for what we're looking for. And at all points in time in our life, you have to kind of reevaluate and say, well, what is it that kind of fits in right now? Once again, if right now focusing on getting, just kind of get comfortable within that new brokerage, it might be saying, okay, maybe right now doing entire gut rehab is not exactly it. Maybe this is a time to buy tenants in place again, or to buy something that's more cosmetic or a little bit more turnkey Mm -hmm. than to do that. But hey, maybe in six months, when you're all settled in, maybe now you find a good bird project. So yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking different opportunities. as the seasons change, the market changes quite a bit and properties don't move nearly as fast in October, November, and December. And yeah. I've already, two of the properties I purchased, one and two, yeah, they were both December, January purchases. Yeah. So things come up and people need to pay off taxes or need to buy Christmas gifts and they sell off some rental properties and you just got to be ready to go. <laughs> and it's also freezing in Wisconsin, I've heard during the winters. So not Amazing. the time to go look at the exterior of a house or a gut rehab that has no heat because I've been there and done that. But I am so happy to see how far you've come along in your journey. You've just, I loved how you've just so immersed yourself in education that now is guiding you to make some of these decisions. So uh, Tiffany, I cannot wait to see where you go next. You'll have to come back and make sure to give us an update in Lady Landlords when you find that next property, all right? Definitely, for sure. So for any of other investors that are out there, Tiffany, is there any kind of last words of motivation of what you would say to them, especially kind of going into a market where things might not be moving as fast? Yeah. um, Have a specific buy box. Know what it is that is going to make you pull the trigger. For me, that was under a thousand square feet on the near south side of Milwaukee, kind of C&D neighborhoods. 
uh, three bedroom minimum. And um, if it had a half, one and a half bath, that was like a bonus. Uh, if it had a fenced yard, that's a bonus. A garage is definitely a bonus, but keeping it very specific to that. And then when I happened into property number two and three, I was like, oh shit, that's, sorry, this is the way I talk. I'm like, I have to buy that. It's, it's what I've decided fits my mm -hmm. criteria. And the tenant was in place, they were paying and they wanted to stay. I'm like, and they keep it clean. Boom. Okay. Got to buy this one. Exactly. But it makes it so much easier. It, it takes the emotion out of it because really when you're buying rental property, it shouldn't be emotional. And it helps also you be able to evaluate if something's worth looking into or not when you really have that clear criteria. Exactly. So I think that's a great tip. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you donating your time to our group today. Thanks for having me, Becky. So for any of our listeners, if you are out there and are not sure what your buy box should look like or need help coming up with what your purchasing criteria should be, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm happy to help you with that. And definitely look into the Lady Landlords Roadmap Workshop as that is something that we do help get clarity on during that session. You can learn more about the roadmap at lady-landlords.com slash roadmap. Otherwise, do make sure to subscribe if you are listening to us on YouTube or if wherever you listen to your podcast as we release a new episode of the Lady Landlords podcast every single Tuesday. Thanks so much and see you next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're feeling stuck in your real estate journey, visit lady-landlords.com slash roadmap to book a one-on-one -on -one workshop with me. I'll help you determine your next best strategy. Or you could subscribe to our newsletter for exclusive tips and offers. Invest with confidence, become a lady landlord today.